welcome to the Louder Than Silence podcast with your host, C.G. Wagner. This month's episode is Survivors Have Paid Enough. Beep, beep, beep. Alex startles awake and fumbles with the alarm to snooze it. Ten minutes later, beep, beep, beep. Alex snoozes again starts thinking about the things that she won't be able to do that morning. Ten minutes later, beep, beep, beep. Alex glares at her alarm and snoozes it again. She unwillingly admits to herself that she'll actually have to get out of bed the next time her alarm goes off. Sure enough, ten minutes later, beep, beep, beep. Alex gets out of bed, annoyed already. She won't be able to take the dog for a walk or eat breakfast again today. She sends the pup out into the backyard while she hurriedly gets ready for work. She scrambles to throw a few snacks into her bag and put out breakfast for Bella. As soon as Bella hears the dish hit the floor, she flies back inside, tracking mud into the house. As Alex frantically tries to wipe off Bella's paws, Bella clearly thinks this is a game. She squirms away, getting Alex's work clothes dirty and generally making a mess. Keep it together, Alex. All you have to do is change your clothes and clean up a little, she tries to tell herself. She's absolutely livid, feeling like she's going to start breaking things or curl up in a ball and never unravel. She's only been out of bed for 20 minutes, but already she feels like the day is too much to handle. Ten minutes later, Alex has on a new set of clothes and cleaned up the floor, but she can't get over how furious she is that there is yet another thing tacked onto her already stressful day. How is she supposed to be able to handle everything that's thrown at her? So much has gone wrong, and the day just started. Alex rushes out the door and gets in her car. Her music from last night is still blaring, full of anger and angst. She smiles wryly to herself when she thinks how surprised people are to find that such a nice girl like her listens to such dark, angry music. If only they knew. She leaves the music turned up way too loud, and it somehow relieves the pressure when she screams the lyrics at the top of her lungs. Alex gets to work and slides in through the side door, so she doesn't have to talk to the receptionist on the way through. He's a great guy and all, but he never stops talking. She simply does not have the energy to deal with him this morning. It took everything she had to pull herself together after the chaos. And Alex gets straight to work, knowing she'll only be able to focus on getting her tasks done for the next half an hour or so. Every day, it's a race to see how much she can cram into the first 30 minutes of work, because the rest of the day is always downhill after that. What a productive day Alex is having. She's gotten three things crossed off her list in the first hour, and then it hits her. She hasn't eaten anything yet today. She fishes through her bag to find one of the hastily packed snacks, snags a mug of hot tea from the break room, and settles back in front of the computer to keep her momentum going. She pauses for a minute, wondering 
she remember to brush her teeth or put on deodorant this morning? Well, either way, it's too late now. She gets back to work. As soon as her fingers hit the keyboard, she hears the dreaded footsteps headed her way. Dan shows up at her office door, ready to flirt and chat. And after a few minutes, Alex realizes Dan is still standing in the doorway. She looks around, searching for an escape route. There's no way out. He's blocking her only ability to get away. And as this thought sets in, Alex creeps to the edges of a panic attack. She starts shaking and feels like she can't breathe, completely unable to focus on the conversation. She cuts Dan off mid-sentence and says she has to get back to work. Dan mutters something about how all women are crazy and saunters back to his desk. Alex closes the door and sits in front of her computer, unseeing and uncomprehending. Her thoughts are completely a jumbled mess, and she is no longer able to figure out what she's supposed to be working on. All she can think about is how trapped she feels. Alex sits there, staring into the void for a solid 20 minutes before glancing at her to-do list, which just looks like incomprehensible nonsense at this point. Her day is completely derailed by a three-minute harmless interaction. She keeps repeating to herself that she is safe, that Dan isn't going to hurt her, but it's to no avail. Nothing is bringing her back from this today. Her hands are still shaking when she spills her tea and falls out of her chair while reaching for some napkins. I never used to be this clumsy, Alex muses. What? What happened to me? She tries to make a mental note of the fall so she can remember when the bruises show up the next day. She's so tired of finding random bruises or falling or running into things that she doesn't remember them happening. Alex contemplates going home and taking a half day of sick leave, but she's already used so much of it. What happens when she's really sick? And she has a meeting over coffee this afternoon. Maybe she'll just go home when that's done? Call it a day then? Besides, if she's not going to be productive, why bother to needlessly sit at the office? So she trudges through her work for the next few hours, killing the time until her meeting. When it's about 10 minutes before she has to go, Alex realizes that she forgot to eat lunch. All she had to eat today is an apple and a granola bar. Oh well, I'm, I'm sure they'll have something to eat at the coffee shop. So Alex packs herself up and gets into her car, and as she takes a turn out of the parking lot, she spots what looks an awful lot like her ex's car. But why would he be here in this neighborhood during this time of day? She fears that he is following her and keeping tabs on her. And suddenly, Alex's mind flashes to when he attacked her. She shakes her head to clear her mind and realizes she's already at the coffee shop. She doesn't even remember driving the last three miles. She grabs her stuff and goes inside, staring at the cases of sandwiches and pastries. She knows that she should eat. She knows that she should be hungry but she's not. She orders a latte and sits down without ordering any food, telling herself that she'll eat once she gets home. 
Unfortunately for her, Alex has always been able to put on a good show for clients and keep it all together during a pitch. No one would ever know that she's falling apart inside. They just see the shiny, polished face she puts on for everyone else. The meeting, thankfully, uh, wraps up pretty uneventfully, and Alex decides to go home and send it back to the office. After all, she's put in so many extra hours over the years, surely they can spare her this one. Bella is stoked to see Alex, as always. After a few minutes of belly rubs and fetch, Alex decides she, sh she should take Bella for a walk, since it's such a nice day. And as she's changing, her stomach starts that all-too-familiar rumbling. She scampers to the bathroom and makes it just in time for what she refers to as gastrointestinal distress. Weird. She hasn't really eaten much today, so it shouldn't be something she ate. Maybe it's just all the stress she's under at work? And she wonders if it could be related to seeing her ex's car, but pushes that thought out of her head as quickly as it came in. She doesn't want to admit to herself that she would react so much to something as silly as that. It has to be something else. Now, Alex is in a conundrum. She wants to take Bella for a walk, but what if she has another bathroom emergency? Should she risk it? After debating for about 10 minutes, Bella finally wins her over and they head out for a walk. Fortunately, there are no more emergency situations to deal with. And once they get home, Alex is recharged and ready to take on the rest of her day. She definitely needs to eat something since so she hasn't done that. Oh, and she needs to send a birthday card for her mom. And she needs to vacuum. Finally, Alex just realizes she needs to start making a list. She writes down everything she wants to get done that night and somehow ends up with 16 things. At least she'll stay busy. One by one, Alex knocks the items off her list. She's super proud of how productive she's being. She hasn't gotten this much done in ages. As she drops the birthday card in the mailbox, she scolds herself for not sending it out sooner. It probably won't get to mom in time for her birthday. Mom's probably gonna be mad lay a huge guilt trip on her. Maybe even stop talking to her for a while. Not that her mom has ever actually done these things, but Alex has convinced herself that it's the worst case scenario and that's definitely going to apply here. And then a cruel thought hits her. Would her mom take Bella away from her as punishment? Mom knows how much Alex loves Bella. And maybe mom doesn't think Alex deserves to have something so good in her life anymore. And with that, at task 14, Alex runs out of steam. She's now convinced herself that her mom is angry with her and is going to take away her dog, even though she mostly understands that's not true. But to Alex, it's the only possibility of what could happen. Alex shouldn't be so foolish to think that she actually gets to have what she wants. Alex looks at her list again and vows to finish the two other things tomorrow. And as she's looking at her list, she realizes her one glaring error. She forgot to put eating dinner on her list. Oh, stupid, stupid, stupid. She chides herself. It's now 1030. It's way too late to start making dinner. She grabs a spoonful of peanut butter and decides to call it a night. Alex slides into bed, exhausted. Almost as soon as she hits the pillow, she's asleep. Sweet, blissful sweep. 
that erases the stress of the day until the nightmare. Alex is following her in his car. Every turn she takes, he's there. She can't escape him. Now they're in her house. He has her trapped. He reaches out to grab her. Alex wakes up in a cold sweat, heart pounding. She tells herself it's nothing and pretends like the nightmare doesn't affect her. She double checks her alarm, knowing she'll hit snooze at least once in the morning. As she drifts to sleep, she hopes, maybe tomorrow will be better. And in case you didn't realize this, Alex is an amalgam of many survivor experiences put into one story. It's not any one particular person's story. I originally wrote this as a way to give a general overview of some of the common aspects of living life as a survivor of sexual violence. I could tell you story after story from my own personal experiences of just how much being a survivor impacts a person's life. And those stories would be a full and complete podcast in and of themselves. As we often talk about in our community, every single aspect of a person's life is impacted by surviving sexual violence. Because of this, everything we do at LTS is based in the understanding that survivors have already paid enough. And this is exactly why we are launching the Survivors Have Paid Enough series in this podcast. Survivors generally feel what has cost what this has cost them, even if they struggle to put it into words. However, it seems like what this truly looks like and means isn't well understood outside of the community. And that is precisely why I wanted to launch this series. In this series, we will go through the eight areas of health that are part of our community discussions and hear survivor stories. We are going to explore the height and depth and breadth of what it means to be a survivor. We are going to try to put into words the devastation that sexual violence truly is. So when we say survivors have paid enough, what has that cost been? In terms of what's easily able to define, it's typically measured in time and money. So I'm gonna throw some numbers at you and be prepared. According to a study done in 2017, the average lifetime cost of surviving one single rape is $122,000. When adjusted for inflation in 2024, that's the equivalent of $151,000. According to the most recent Bureau of Labor Statistics report, medium weekly income for a woman is $891. That means that the average woman would need to work 169.4 weeks or three years and three months simply to pay for surviving one rape without any additional living expenses. Let's stop to let that sink in for a second. Over three full years of work just to pay for surviving one rape. And as far as I can tell, there are no studies that have shown the economic impact of ongoing or long-term sexual abuses. How do you put a dollar amount on someone who has experienced sexual violence dozens or hundreds of times? Figuring out the time and money costs are great because they help quantify the experience with something that everyone can more or less relate to. 
But what about the intangible effects? The things that can't be measured specifically? For instance, how do we measure the real cost of all the mental and emotional disruptions? When someone experiences a trigger for their trauma, everything else shuts down or shuts off. For many survivors, this happens thousands of times over the course of their healing. Thousands. And this shutdown can last anywhere from a few minutes to a few days, depending on the trigger. So how can we really measure the cost of what feeling incapacitated suddenly does? And this is just from going about one's life. And think how many areas these triggered moments can affect. What is the opportunity cost at a job or at school if the person can't know when they won't be functioning? What is the toll on relationships or even accomplishing basic tasks? There's no real way of putting numbers to all the ways that a person's life is affected and the ripples that come afterward. As a way to clarify some of these intangibles when we have the conversation in the LTS community, we talk about the side effects of sexual violence in eight areas of health. As I mentioned earlier, we will be going more in depth on all of them throughout this series. For today, we're going to, going to do a high-level overview of the impacts. Please keep in mind, though, that all of these can be addressed through trauma-specific interventions like EMDR. Just because you or someone you know is dealing with these things right now doesn't mean it will always be this way. There is hope for healing. The psychological or mental health impact that is largely connected to surviving sexual violence is post-traumatic stress disorder, which many of you know as PTSD. This response can happen after any traumatic event, and most people know it associated with veterans in combat. But beyond that, for survivors who are in long-term or ongoing abusive situations, they run a higher risk of ending up with complex PTSD, also called CPTSD. Essentially, whether it's PTSD or CPTSD, the brain can't store the memory as a past event and is telling the rest of the body that the trauma exists in this present moment. And this is the basis for all other health impacts. If the brain is telling a survivor that the violence is actively happening, all other, the person, all other parts of the person's being are responding to that. How could a person possibly feel safe, secure, and healthy when they feel that they're constantly under threat? Now for a survivor's emotional health, it is common to see people who are either emotionally frozen and disconnected from themselves, or feel emotionally overwhelmed and that their emotions are uncontrollable or it's an oscillation between the two. There is very little ability or space to regulate the emotions. In the physical health arena, many survivors largely disconnect from themselves, even to the point of not being able to feel any physical sensation at all in one part of the body, or even all of the body. It can also manifest in ignoring or neglecting the body. And besides that, survivors have fairly substantial sleep issues very commonly. 
The impact on the intellect is largely connected to what I mentioned a few minutes ago about the mental disruptions. The primary impact is an, an inability to focus with many other intellectual capacities affected by the inability to focus. Another way that the feelings of being disconnected manifest is in survivors' relationships. Since almost 80% of survivors know their attackers, it is a natural response to assume that they can't trust that anyone is safe. Survivors distance themselves from the people around them, trying to maintain a sense of security and safety because they don't know who will be a threat to them in the future. For the spiritual health component, understandably, many survivors struggle with feeling at peace or that it is possible for there to be such a thing as a benevolent higher power. After experiencing such devastation, there's often feelings of being tormented and that the world around them is evil. Of course, there is the financial health component that I already touched on earlier in the podcast. The financial cost of undoing all this harm is astronomical. And last, certainly not least, is the impact on sexual health, as should not be a surprise to anyone. The journey to healing in this area is particularly fraught because at some point, to reach full health, the journey requires trusting another person intimately. When someone has weaponized sex, the survivor's body remembers that harm and responds accordingly. So this is what we're going to be talking about over the course of this series. I want to stress again though that this is not the end state for survivors. Yes, these areas of health are impacted by the trauma and impacted incredibly deeply, but there's a huge amount of hope. And this is why LTS exists, so that survivors can have support as they are untangling the web of devastation and rebuilding their lives again. This is why we believe so firmly that survivors have already paid enough. And for those of you who need to hear this, you are not alone in this journey. Every single one of these areas can and will see improvement as you do the work. It won't be easy, but it will absolutely be worth it. You can feel vibrant, peaceful, and free. You can experience all the beauty and the joy that life has to offer. Even if this present moment feels like you're trying to survive another day, there's so much more available to you. You can have it, and you will, as you address these things. I'm excited to go on this journey with you as we start the Survivors Have Paid Enough series. Hopefully, we will finally put many myths to rest for good. We will see why this issue is so much bigger than what it may seem on the surface. And ideally, it will inspire some of the survivors out there to take the next steps in your healing. Join us next month as we dive in. And thank you for listening to the Louder Than Silence podcast. LTS is a nonprofit organization that provides long-term care, community, and resources for survivors of sexual violence. If you'd like more information about our organization, please visit us at louderthansilence.org and sign up for our newsletter, or follow us on Instagram at louderthansilenceorg. If you like our work, please consider donating today. 
And don't forget to subscribe to the podcast for our most current episodes. See you next month.